Well, I get to be on a lot of uh, like pastor Zoom calls because we talk to each other and we want to just share like what what is everybody doing? What's God saying? How are you hearing from him? And it's been really helpful to kind of process things. And one of my favorite things to share is how the Lord led us prior to any mention of coronavirus uh, to come into the book of Daniel. It's been such a, a gift to have this uh, this scripture as an anchor for us as we're going through an incredibly difficult and different time uh, to be in a book where a young man, Daniel, was taken out of his home and placed in a totally foreign nation and called to live a life of faithful obedience. And we've gotten to watch his entire life and see how that's been lived out. And it's been so important for us to try and have a, an understanding of what it means to be faithful and obedient and diligent and disciplined in difficult seasons of life. I, I just, it's hard to even fathom that there could have been a better match for this season than to be going through this book. Uh, so we have a, a couple, uh, Caleb and Deb Womack are gonna be reading the text for us. Before we launch that, I wanna encourage you, grab a pen and paper or a laptop or an iPad or something. I want you to listen to them read the scriptures and as they read them, would you listen for questions that you might have that you want answered, and then you can kind of listen to the message and see if those questions get answered. But you listen to the scriptures and just say, okay, what, what do I want to know more about? It's a great way to listen, actively listen to scriptures being read. So here you go, Caleb and Deb. Hi, we're the Womacks, and we'll be reading Daniel chapter 6 this morning. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might not suffer any loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for the complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that, can be so that cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plead by, before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. 
Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. And then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and his sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. May my God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel pr prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Awesome. Thank you, Caleb and Deb, for uh, reading that scripture for us and just giving us a, a picture of this incredible story. Have you heard that story before? Uh, Daniel and the lion's den is probably one of the most common uh, children's stories that we hear in Sunday school. It's, it's one that's profound, uh, partly because it, it involves a zoo. I mean, they have a lion's den, which is pretty cool. Um, but also, there's just this like crazy reality to it that uh, that Daniel is thrown into a place where obviously those lions would eat any human being that goes into that if they're kept hungry. And that's not what happens. So it's a, it's a story of God's power and God's providence. And it's amazing. Um, but we want to dig into this because there are some things here that, um, that we need to, we need to mine, uh, really dig deep into and understand, Lord, what are you saying to me? What is it that you are asking of us and how can we live differently in light of this? So uh, a couple of things. I've read through a number of commentaries about this and the general consensus is that Daniel was in his 80s or 90s when he was thrown into the lion's den. Uh, that does not always correlate to the flannel graphs that you saw when you were growing up, but the reality of Daniel being old at this moment is 
uh, is pretty clear based on the storyline of the Babylonian Empire, when it fell, who took over, that type of a thing. It is a little hard to nail down because there's not a lot of a historical record about Darius. And so there's been some challenges for people to try and sort through, okay, well, what do we do with the timeline here when we, we hear this person named Darius and we don't fully know who that person is? But what we've seen time and time and time again is that God has used Daniel in this wild and volatile season of human history. In fact, one of the most, it's, it's pretty interesting how it correlates to the story of Joseph and his role with Pharaoh. And here we have Daniel and his role with Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. And he is this faithful man out of his own world that is living in obedience and gets to see leaders come and go but his testimony of Yahweh stands fast. It's pretty amazing to look at. Now, as we talked about last week, Daniel is living out this, uh, this phrase. There's a book, I actually, I had never read the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson, but after mentioning it, I bought it and have started reading it, and it's amazing. It is a fascinating and powerful book. It's actually a commentary on the Psalms. I had no idea, but it's a, it's a great read. That phrase captures the life of Daniel, a long obedience in the same direction. He has lived his life faithfully and there have been kings that have come and gone and he continues to rise and find himself as the second or third or whatever most powerful man in the most powerful nation on earth for a duration of about 70 to 80 years. That is a phenomenal career. Daniel lives his faith. What we're going to see is that Daniel's a man of prayer. He prays three times a day. And even when there's this mandate, and we'll get into it, but even when there's this mandate from the king uh, that, that nobody can pray to anybody but him, Daniel continues his practice. And what it says, it's just such a simple line, but it says, as he had previously done. And what that indicates is that Daniel didn't start praying because the king said, don't pray. He had built a life, a rhythm, a habit on this Worship of Yahweh, this love for his true king. And that wasn't going to stop under any circumstances. And it's Daniel's faithfulness that has continued to put him in places of prominence to make an impact and to live a profound life. And so we see this just incredible power come out of Daniel's life. Now that life, it didn't always sit well with the rest of the world. Uh, the rest of the world kind of operates on, a, on an economy of evil. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that the evil or the economy is evil inherently. That's not actually the point that I'm making. But the world starts to build itself on this idea that everybody's out for themselves. Everybody's going to lie, cheat, and steal to get to the top. We're all doing it. And so we can sort of leverage that to advance our careers and to move forward. And, and that attitude runs into a wall when you have a person that decides not to play the game, when they're choosing to live by a different standard. And oftentimes when the world or the wave of that world culture runs into a person of faith or a person of conviction, or as we saw back in Daniel 1, Daniel resolved. He stood in his conviction that he was going to be a man of God. And that whatever those waves of the economy of evil or the way of the world or the, uh, the banking on that people have that, well, you're, you're going to be out for yourself so I can leverage that for my own gain. Well, well, Daniel didn't play that game. 
And it's such an interesting thing to see how they responded to that. Daniel actually lives out Romans 12, 20 and 21. Uh, the first book we ever taught through as a church was Romans. And we got to this passage and it was a little hard to kind of like reconcile because it, it says some weird things, but this is Romans 12, 20 and 21. It says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, Daniel's choices throughout his life have been to honor God. And every step of the way when he honors God, there's somebody out there that uh, doesn't respond very well to the way that Daniel chooses to honor God. And when Paul writes that in Romans, he's actually quoting a proverb, this idea of heaping burning coals on your enemy's head. It's not vindictive. It's not, ha, gotcha. It's the idea that actually when we do the will of God, it gets at evil people. It's something that doesn't sit well with people whose motive or their economy, that's kind of the nature of how I was using that word, is to do wicked and then righteousness really does feel like sandpaper in that situation. And so it's not motive. We're not trying to heap burning coals on somebody's head. We're not trying to injure anybody by doing righteous things. It's just that righteousness and wickedness are like oil and water. They do not go well together. I almost said oil and vinegar, and then I thought, actually, that's just salad dressing. Oil and water do not mix, and that's the reality of righteousness and wickedness. They just don't mix very well. So that jealousy, that attitude of these guys wanting their economy to make sense. Everybody's out for themselves. We've got a new king in the palace. Darius is there. He's in charge. Everybody's out to climb the ladder. And here we have Daniel just being faithful, old, wise Daniel that gets lavished with praise and honor at every turn. And they're not having it. They're not interested in Daniel being at the top. They're interested in Daniel being dead. Now you gotta imagine, I don't know what the lifespan was of Babylonians or Medo-Persians in the fifth uh, century BC. I probably should have looked that up, but even then it's probably debatable. Uh, it's not 90, I can tell you that. We can't even get to 90 right now. We've got some pretty epic medical tech going on. Daniel is way beyond the average lifespan. And you've got to imagine that these guys could have just bided their time and said, look, Daniel's gonna die soon and somebody's gonna take his place. But that wasn't enough. They were anxious to get him out of the way because there's something about a man of righteousness in a sea of wickedness that does not sit well. So they chose to act on it. Now, here's the other thing about people of faith, people of righteousness, is we are uh, way predictable, okay? Because we're just gonna continue to honor God and anybody that ever wants to know what it looks like to honor God, all they have to do is pick up this book and read it and they can use this against us in a big way. And honestly, it's been done throughout history, time and time and time again. Wicked people have chosen to bank on the righteousness of followers of Jesus to get what they want. And the reality is, that's fine. That's not going to change the attitudes and postures of believers. It didn't change the attitude and posture of Daniel. Let's take a, a look at this, picking up in verse 10. Uh, well, first of all, the jealous guys, they go and they get the king to sign the, the injunction, the ordinance uh, to enforce that nobody can pray to anybody but King Darius for 30 days. What a weird ordinance. Uh, we just need to put a pause on all other gods and we're just going to go Darius for 30 days. That's going to show those other gods. 
I don't get into Darius's motives right now. That's not the direction we're going to go, but that was quite a wild choice. King Darius signs the document. When Daniel, this is verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been, been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel's choice was to simply continue being the man of God that he had been for all of those years. The consequences were the lion's den. That was stated in the document. If you do this thing, you will be put in the lion's den. Now, Daniel had a couple of choices. He could have continued to be faithful to God in hiding. Could have closed the windows. It's not that hard, Daniel. Just close your windows. But he chose not to do that. He left him open, as was his practice. This is what he did. Jerusalem is that way. I'm praying for my people to be reconciled with the land of promise. I want to pray towards Jerusalem. Daniel had this heart for his home country, this longing to fulfill the, the prophecy of Jeremiah. He wanted that. He chose to pray out in the open. He could have hidden. Another option, Daniel absolutely could have chosen to just wait 30 days. I mean, it's 30 days. He's 90 years old. He's seen a lot bigger gaps in his life than 30 days. There are things that he can do for 30 days. There's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small window of time. And theoretically, Daniel could have just hit pause on his prayer life for 30 days and then lived to see another day. But Daniel's posture in this is just one of simple faith and obedience. I love my king, I love my God, and I will follow him, and I will obey him. Now, this is a really interesting passage for our current state of things as a church. Uh, there are some out there who feel like uh, the government is defining what we can and can't do as a church, and that, that's created some challenges for Christians. And it's created some attitudes that are um, saddening, honestly, from from followers of Jesus. It's not just that people are fighting together or not gather or whatever. That's People have their right to have convictions and that type of a thing. But the attitude with which Christians have chosen to um, sling mud, uh, to chip away at each other, uh, it's not a picture of the Jesus that we've come to represent. And you just think if the world is going to watch us as, a, as followers of Jesus, um, go to battle with each other over what we should do in this moment. Is that the kind of contagious hope that we've, we've longed to contribute to the world? Here's the, here's the thing. Paul writes to the Colossians and he says this. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. If nothing else right now, let's just kind of put the, the debate on hold for a moment and let's go to the attitude. If nothing else, we want to be people who let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. What peace has he given us? He's given us the peace that the victory has been won. That on the cross and through the resurrection, the battle has been won. The things that are going on now are not making Jesus anxious. They're not making him nervous. They're not making him afraid. The battle has been won. And he has set the course of redemptive history. And we get to find our posture, our attitude, our heartbeat in Jesus. 
And that's what it would look like for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, is to find our identity and even our striving in the finished work of Jesus. And that allows us to be people of peace, a non-anxious presence, bringing contagious hope to a hurting world. I want to see us fight for that. That's a weird thing to say. I want to see us fight for peace. But I do want to see us be people who fight for the peace of Christ to rule the body of Christ so that we can be this beautiful picture of Jesus to the world around us. Daniel did choose to disobey his king because his king was saying, you can't worship anybody but me. And there may come a moment where that type of civil disobedience, if you will, is appropriate. Now, we look at the the Chinese underground church. It is currently an illegal entity. The Chinese have done work to prevent uh, the underground church from meeting. Uh, do Do we agree? Do we support the church? Absolutely. If a government says there is no God and you cannot gather to worship him, then we support when the body of Christ says, okay, we're gonna go underground. We're, gonna, we're going to continue to follow Jesus even when the world says that there is no Jesus. I don't know if we're there yet. Honestly, I look at the situation that we're in and I see opportunity for us to continue to be the church. Kristen was just talking about an incredible opportunity for us to be the church. We can continue to let the Spirit of God unite us, regardless of the context and circumstances. But our hearts, our attitudes, our words, we want those to reflect Jesus every step of the way, regardless of our convictions. If you need a place to go, Romans 14, just spend some time reading through that. You can do that on your on your own time, but just take a, a look through Romans 14 and let that guide our hearts, and our convictions. Okay, climbing back into Daniel. Daniel uh, decided to go ahead and pray. He was predictable. The guys pointed that out to Darius. Darius very reluctantly throws Daniel in the lion's den. And even as he's saying it, he says, I really hope that your God can shut the mouths of these lions. Like, I want this to not be the end of you, Daniel. This is an interesting one because in every story of the book of Daniel, there's been a lot of interaction with the leader. Daniel has shared about a dream or an interpretation or Yahweh in some way. Daniel does not say a word. He knew the consequences. He sought Yahweh and continued to, uh, to pray. And Darius followed the injunction and threw him in the lion's den. It's kind of like it is what it is. Paul writes this in uh, Philippians 1.21. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The picture that we see in Daniel is that I am a follower of Yahweh. What I do honors him. And even if I die, similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, even if we die right now, Yahweh is good. He is good and he sustains all things. We actually don't know Daniel's mentality. We don't know if he was anticipating that God was going to shut the mouth of the lions. We know that Darius hoped that that would be the case. But Daniel's posture was, look, I'm in it to win it. I'm going to follow Yahweh to the end of my life. And if that end comes tonight, okay, then I'll be with Yahweh for all eternity. And if God chooses to shut the mouths of these lions, then I'll be with Yahweh tomorrow in my flesh. See, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And every follower of Jesus lives with that same confidence. Every single one of us. Our physical lives are not the end of us. 
This is why we talk at Easter and honestly, all year long about the resurrection life because Jesus' resurrection gives us a picture that life is so much bigger than our physical lives. And so for us to live is Christ. We have mission, we have purpose, we have focus. To die is gain. When we end our physical lives, we go and we are with the Lord in his presence with the saints of all time for all eternity. That's a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. To live is Christ. To die is gain. So my encouragement is we're, is we're kind of just even processing that particular aspect, looking at Daniel go into the lion's den, is that we as followers of Jesus have an opportunity to live without the same kind of fear that many in this world live with. We can live without the fear that our physical lives define us. That what happens in this moment with my flesh and bones is all that I have because it's not all that we have. And Daniel was well aware of that. And it would be one thing if 90-year-old Daniel said, he's like, look, I'm going to go one way or the other. Might as well be with the lions. That's, that's kind of one thing. But he had made this same call repeatedly throughout his life, going up against the threat of death to stand confidently in the face of that threat, to stand for his king and his God. The next thing that we see, and this is uh, an ongoing theme in the book of Daniel, is that the wickedness of the world is an opportunity to contrast the brilliance of the presence of God. You and I and every follower of Jesus on this planet have an opportunity to contrast the, the darkness of the world with the brilliance of Jesus in us. That's kind of the backdrop of the book of Daniel and the reality is it's the backdrop of our lives. This idea of stark contrast, looking so different in the pursuit of Jesus that it, it looks and feels and even smells different than the wickedness of this world. And one of the things that we get the opportunity to do as believers is we get to live in a broken world. We get to anticipate the wickedness of people. We need to not fret when people live wicked lives because that's what people are going to do that don't know Jesus. It's going to come at us and it allows us in those moments to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. We get to stand confidently in the trials because we know that Jesus' light shines brightly in those moments. Now here's a little mental project for you, just something to kind of process through and work through. I want you to think about Bible stories, Old Testament and New. So think Book of Acts, uh, think pretty much all of them in the Old Testament. They come with strife. The stories of the Bible are often met with some kind of antagonist, some kind of strife, some kind of difficulty, some kind of trial. And in those moments, people are faced with the opportunity to live the presence of Yahweh in us, or to walk in the way of the flesh. That story has not changed. Today, you have an opportunity. You can walk by the Spirit. You can sow to the Spirit. Or you can walk by the flesh. You can sow to the flesh. The New Testament gives us those pictures of what it looks like for us to live the faithfulness of God 
in these physical lives. Guys, in our apprenticeship to Jesus, we want to be walking and looking and living more and more like him with every day that we have inside of us. Um, Kristen wrote one of the devotionals this week, and uh, I've been reading through it and using it the last two, two days because it, uh, I think it came out on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, and it challenged us to take a psalm and to use that psalm just to, to kind of be with Jesus for five minutes a day. And uh, the psalm that I picked was Psalm 90. I don't know if you ever do the random psalm thing. Uh, any rando psalmers out there? Um, and I kind of went that direction with this. I didn't have like a real conviction as to what psalm to go to, but I went to Psalm 90 and there's this line in it that says, um, teach me to number my days so that I might have a heart of wisdom. And I just... Um, it made me makes me not want to waste a second of this life. Like not one second. I want to know that my days are limited. I want to remember that I am not here forever. But I don't want that to give me a heart of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I want that to give me a heart of wisdom that, that the presence of God in me teaches me how to live every single day in his presence. I needed that this week, desperately. I don't know if you need that right now. I needed that this week. And right now the camera's on me, so I get to share with you what I needed. The thing with Daniel is his life didn't always manifest in immediate fruit. Daniel's life was lived in long faithfulness, and some of the kings, they decided to follow Yahweh. Some of the kings did not. He didn't always get to see the benefit of his life. And in fact, he dies in exile. He does not return to Jerusalem. He knew that from Jeremiah's prophecy that most likely his lifespan would end before he gets to see his homeland, that his life is transitionary by definition. That he will be removed from Israel and so he's put out into exile, but that his physical life will not see the return of Israel to her homeland. He did not get to experience that. And so there's part of him that could be discouraged and depressed that he did not get to see revival. He didn't get to see a king turn so repentantly that he sends Israel back and says, I'm sorry to Yahweh, but I want you to hear this. The last line of Daniel 6, it says, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, if you have your Bibles, go over to Ezra chapter one. Ezra one says this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, if you remember our Exodus 34, that is Yahweh. Yahweh 
has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Now, the point of that passage in Ezra, it's not to have a temple. That temple is destroyed. It's a, it's a whatever. There's bricks that are left and that's it. The point of that is to take Israel back to Jerusalem through which, and we saw this when we went through Nehemiah, through which the lineage of Jesus is established in the places of the prophecies of the Old Testament and the Messiah is birthed in a profound way. While Daniel's life was a transition, it was a part of the redemptive story of all humankind. Are you content to be faithful to Yahweh, to be somebody who carries the presence of Jesus everywhere you go and exudes contagious hope, even if you never see revival through your words, even if you never get to experience firsthand preaching the gospel and leading somebody to faith. We love the immediate gratification of leading somebody to Jesus in the moment that we shared the gospel with them. Oftentimes we have a hard time appreciating that our faithfulness is bearing fruit and part of God's story somewhere else in some other way? Are we content to be diligent and disciplined and obedient even if we don't see immediate results? One thing that we learned from Daniel is that obedience is not contingent on immediate fruitfulness. If it is, oftentimes we run out of gas. Are you in this exclusively for Yahweh, exclusively for Jesus, for his love and tenderness and kindness. Not that the world may know him. We have to trust Jesus that his desire is that the world may know him and he's gonna use us and that's his prerogative. But are you content to walk faithfully with Jesus and trust him with fruitfulness, but you just keep pressing on and on and on and on by the Spirit of God. See, the power of the gospel is that we don't need the fruit in order to feel the satisfaction of Jesus. We abide in Christ and we fill him and his presence in us, and that's our joy. And he gets to define the fruitfulness of our lives, and we get to trust him with that every step of every day. I hope that you see in Daniel a call to obedience and faithfulness regardless of the outcome. If it leads to your death, if it leads to fruitfulness, if it leads to revival, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But I will give my life to my king. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity for us to walk with you, to hear your voice, to know your presence, to need you, to be dependent on you to be hungry for you. Lord, I wanna pray for those who in their homes right now, they feel their, their hunger for you waning. I just pray that you would just deepen their longing for you now. That they would feel so much longing for you 
but they hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus. Just fill us with a desire for you. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.